Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I am Pastor Ryan. Today we look at an important message as the second part of our discerning the mission of God. Specifically today, we will give our attention to the key component for missionaries found in Jesus' commission when he says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We will see this importance as modeled by the Apostle Paul to become all things to all men that he might win some. Thanks for joining us today as we examine this difficult calling to adapt our preferences and comforts that we might find an audience with unbelievers to help lead them to our Lord. week I took my kids out fishing which for those of you fishermen just a word of warning you don't do much fishing yourself when you take your kids fishing just a word of warning you spend a lot of time untangling <clears throat> fishing rods and putting worms on the hooks which was one of the things that I was working on teaching the kids uh, you you got to get your hands dirty if you're going to catch some fish right you, you got to get the worms on the hook, and it's a little yucky. It's a little uncomfortable. But in order to catch the fish, you got to enter into their world a little bit. It's a metaphor. I wonder if you're catching it, right? In order to catch the fish, you need to enter into their world. And as far as my kids are concerned, that means a little bit of discomfort. That means a little bit of new experiences. Listen now, the same is true for the church of Jesus Christ. If you are going to reach those who are different from you, it will require a level of discomfort on your part. It will require a level of change on your part. I'm thankful that these two young missionaries are here before they go, that they might even be able to hear a word from a veteran missionary. It's hard to think that I, that part of the chapter of my life is over at this point. Uh, But you must learn to become like the people who you want to reach. You need to learn to eat the foods that they eat and participate in the celebrations that they participate in. Your identity will always be seen as apart from them if you retain your American nature. Become like them. Talk like them. Value the things that they value. And you will become one of them to reach them. Uh, This morning, as we continue in uh, part two of our series on the mission of God... Uh, We're going to look at the example that God gave, that God set in sending his own son. Uh, These words come from uh, the lips of Jesus as he prays for his disciples in John chapter 20. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. This is going to be the question that we're going to endeavor to to sit in this morning as we look into God's Word. In what way did God really send Jesus? And what does Jesus have in mind when he says, so I am sending you in that same manner? Uh, The the phrase that's used for this is uh, incarnation. comes from the Latin word carne, which means uh, flesh or, or meat. And uh, here for our tradition, uh, out of the Latin for incarnation, is speaking to the way in which God became man. God wrapped in meat. That's a little bizarre, but that's exactly what incarnation means. God, as he was sending uh, his son as a way of saving humanity, he did so not removed, safe and secure in the vaults of heaven, but rather came into our mess. 
all of the dangers, all of the difficulties, all the hungers and all the sorrows, God sent his son. And we can't lose, we can't lose uh, the message that is identified out of Jesus' lips from John. Just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So everybody listen up for a minute. I want to give you a word of warning on this message. This is going to be one that if you listen closely might require a level of discomfort. Kind of in the same way that if you want to catch fish, you've got to learn how to put a worm on a hook. And for the first time doing that, that's a little bizarre. It's a little ch- change. It's a little different. But that's the only way you're going to catch fish. In the same way, God has you right now on earth to reach someone who's lost. And you and I need to learn to follow after Jesus' footsteps in the same way that he was incarnated. God is calling you and I to reach those who may be different from us. We're going to pick up, um, well, primarily we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, but we're going to pick up where we left off in Luke. So start there with me. If you would turn with me back to Luke 15. Uh, We read it last Sunday, but there was something I want to really draw your attention to. As you're turning there, let me just set the stage a little bit. Earlier in Luke's Gospel in chapter 5, you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who, uh, track with me again on this, uh, did they think highly of themselves or lowly of themselves? Highly. They really thought they were something special, right? And as they watched this teacher from Nazareth come and speak to the crowds, uh, look at what they start to complain to his disciples. They say this, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You you, you ought to be more you ought to be more uh, reserved in your faith. Uh, You need to sit with those of us who are elite. Why are you with these sinners? Why would you spend your time chumming up with these worst of the worst? Don't you know the reproach that that would bring upon our God? That's the attitude for which these uh, elites are thinking when they see this. Look at Jesus' response. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have come to call the, not the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. A, a, few, a few things which I want you to see there. Uh, Jesus does not give an answer that says... Uh, you know, the tax collectors and sinners, oh, they're fine. You just need to accept them as they are. Who are you to judge? That's not what he says, all right? Jesus doesn't wipe away the wrong that they're part of. In fact, what does he call them? I've come not to call the righteous, but, the, but he calls them sick, right? There is error in their life. They are lost and estranged from God. And for that reason, they need a doctor. That's why I've come. So I want to make sure you recognize he doesn't dismiss the problem. The appeal for believers to reach out with those who are still lost is not saying that you become like them in their sin. Do you hear me? You don't become like them in their lostness. But rather you identify with them so as to reach them. Okay, Luke 15, that's where we're at, right? So right in the beginning, now the tax collectors and sinners, look it, there they are again. They're showing up again in chapter 15. Everybody with me there? Uh, they were all gathered around to hear him. Now, how, how did that happen? Here you have this progression of the story that Luke is giving us, whereby in chapter 5, what is Jesus doing? He's eating at the bar is what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's hanging out with those who are sinners. But in chapter 15, what do we see happening? 
these same people are now coming after him. Do you guys catch that? They, they, they now say, yeah, we, we, we know Jesus. We've met Jesus. I, I, I now want to hear what he has to say. You maybe have heard the saying, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Have you heard that before? That's exactly true. It's the progression that we see here in Luke. But once again, look who also shows up in chapter 15. Verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So now they're muttering. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Everybody with me? I'm making a point on our second half of this message to point out the context of the stories. Because let me just review very briefly what we looked at last week. Three stories that Jesus gives. He says there's a shepherd who loses one sheep. And so what does he do? Leaves the 99 and goes to find it, right? And then he talks about this woman as an illustration of someone who's lost a coin. And what does she do? She turns her whole house upside down to find the one coin. And then the third story is about two sons. But remember, as you saw from last week, it's really not a story about the boys. It's a story about the dad. Because what does the dad do? The prodigal son is far away. Far away, the dad sees him and says, about time. It's about time he'd be coming back, right? I knew you'd be crawling back here. No, what does the dad do? He goes to the son. And then you got the older brother with his arms crossed. I can't believe it. I can't believe that punk brother of mine came back. I'm not going in there. I don't care if they killed the fatted calf. They wasted it. I'm not going in. And what does the dad do? He leaves again and he goes. This is the picture Of what it means when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. If you're tracking with me up to this point, you're ready to see how the Apostle Paul understood this same command. So I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What what we're going to do is we're going to read through it. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of context a little bit of background. Uh, then we're going to go through a brief outline. I've got sermon notes uh, in the bulletin for you, or you could follow along up here. And finally, three points of conclusion with some application. That's where we're going this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 1780 in your pew Bibles. Uh, to give you a little bit of, of background and framework, you, you, you all should come out on Wednesday to Bible study, because this is the last one until till we get done with July. But this would be an awesome thing to study in more depth. All right, And just to um, not cause your stomachs to lose uh, attention because lunchtime, I'm going to be brief on this. So, um, but we could study this a lot deeper on Wednesday. Uh, the, the background here, starting in chapter 8, is Paul talking to the church because there's some people who are confused as to what's allowed. He calls them weak in their faith because they're confused over meat. That you can't eat some things and you can eat other things. I want you to look in verse 9 of chapter 8. We're just going to start there. Look what Paul says. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom. Are you free to eat anything? Yes or no? You are. Indeed you are. Again, this would be a good Bible study question. There, There are things that are allowed, but there's things that aren't beneficial. We could talk further in depth on this. But you have freedom. Church, all right, turn to your neighbor, say, I have freedom. Good, all right, look what Paul says now. He says, be careful, right, does that sound like a warning? 
Right? Someone says, be careful not to exercise your freedom that it becomes a stumbling block to the weak. So right off the bat, I want you to see the context that Paul is talking about, because we're going to get to nine, nine in a minute. The context here is this idea of withholding our freedoms, our rights. And the word that I want you to hold on to is our comforts. Right, because that's where that's where he goes a little further in depth as he starts in verse nine. I'm sorry, chapter nine. Um, he, he'll begin to talk about uh, the rights and the comforts that we have. Verse four of chapter nine. Uh, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take with us a, a believing wife? So uh, right now he's mentioning uh, uh, sustenance, food. And drink, are, he's within his rights. Uh, having a spouse within ministry, he's within his rights. He'll go on to speak about uh, financial gain. We, we have a right. This is an important passage, again, for church government. How we uh, structure ourselves with uh, our tithes and our offerings. He says that those who preach the gospel are within their rights to earn their living from that work. He's saying we have that right. He'll talk about receiving material blessings uh, if you look in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much that we reap a material harvest from you? All right. Are you everybody tracking with me? Paul is listing out his rights. That's the context. But we're going to start in verse 19. All right. So uh, I'll read through it and then we're going to talk about some of the outline for some observations. Verse 19. Though I am free... And belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not Having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Okay, that's our passage for this morning. There's a lot packed in there. Um, I, I'd like to encourage you, if you're in the habit of underlining and marking in your Bibles, you're going to see some important repetition, and that's what I want us to look at. The very first question is uh, repeated five times, when? Did you catch it? Like four, four uh, short little verses here. That's it. Wins mentioned five times. That means he's got to say it more than once within a verse. So track with me on this again. Up in verse 19, he's trying to win as many as possible. Uh, then he says in verse 20, to the Jews he became like a Jew in order to what? Win. To win them. To those under the law. He became like one under the law in order to win them. Those who don't have a law. In order to win them. To the weak he became weak in order to win them. Alright, so that's our question. What does win mean? Uh, the, the original word here is one that's translated um, in other versions, and I kind of like it a little bit better, but the idea is gain. 
Uh, I'm going to gain them. Uh, The word win, in my mind, I I picture a carnival. You know, and you you throw the ball and you hit the target and the lights go off. Ding, 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 you won, right? And the the part of that that we want to retain is the joy because Paul wants you to retain the joy. There's a purpose for which he is doing all of this chameleon work of becoming like these people because he's excited to win them. But the truth of it is that he will gain them for Christ. That's the word here. And so win means save. Win means save. Don't take my word for it. Let's look in the word of God and see where it is. Look with me again down in verse 22. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might what? There it is. All right, so uh, you could circle every one of these words win and draw a direct line to his conclusion, which is win means save. Now, it's at this point that um, we need a, a healthy reminder in our church because uh, this would be the next question. Save from what? Paul, Paul, Paul's trying to, to win them, meaning save them. But if you don't properly understand the answer to this second question... You will fail to see any motivation to do anything remotely close to what Paul is doing. Saved from what exactly? To be saved means to be saved from the wrath of God because of sin. This is what it means. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you put your finger here in 1 Corinthians, I'd like to ask you to turn back to the book of Romans. And, and we're going to go to chapter 5 in Romans because Paul outlines something here. That's crucial for us to understand if we're going to carry the same motivation that he has. Romans chapter 5, just a few pages back towards the Old Testament. We're going to see in verse 9 these words from the Apostle. Since we have now been justified by his blood. Remember that was our songs we sang? Remember that? Are are you washed in the blood? Uh, Paul is saying we've been justified. That's a legal term that means not guilty. That's what the word justified means. You're not guilty before God. But look what he says. How much more shall we be saved from what? From God's wrath through him. It's, It's too bad that churches no longer find it politically correct to educate the followers of God that he is a wrathful, jealous God. And that you and I, by our rebellion against him, offend him such that it is not possible for you to dwell in his presence. For he is perfect and he is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. But you know, in our world today, oh, it's not too bad. And a little, and oh, it's no big deal. That's just just who they are. Oh, you know Uncle so-and-so. That's just the way they are. Um, That's not how God looks upon sin. And I want to make sure that I highlight this properly before you because the Scripture will speak in many places that God wants to save you from your sin. Sin is a destroying of the proper way in which God made us to live. It's spiritual cancer. Now, if you have cancer, you go to the doctor, right? If you, if you have something that's incorrect within your body, you seek to remedy it. 
Sin is spiritual destruction to your soul. Unfortunately, however, today, you and I, we just we don't hear this preached often enough on how we need to rid ourselves of it. But it's not sin that we ought to be fearing. It's the wrath of God on behalf of sin. If, if we don't catch this, you will fail to see the motivation as to why Paul in any remote manner thinks he needs to reach other people, to gain them, or to win them, and therefore to save them, unless you understand what it looks like to spend eternity apart from God. We need to be careful with this church. We need a greater understanding. Um, in the book of Isaiah, uh, and this came up in our Bible study this past week, it says that God is one who treads the winepress of his fury. And he judges the nations by stomping on them such that their blood soaks his robe. And God's judgment is just. And the danger is you enter into a world that says, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus loves everybody. And you forget that God is a God of wrath. And God is a God of perfection and jealousy. Jealous for your soul. We are saved from God's wrath. We don't hear this often enough. We don't think about hell often enough. It is not popular today to speak about hell. In fact, there are many people in church, we might have some in church today, who think, eh, hell's not a real thing. That's kind of an outdated, you're, you're preaching old school here, pastor. Fine. You need to update things to the new generation because we move past this idea of hell. And what, 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 if you, what if you got in trouble in school and the teacher sent you to detention? Now, some of, that happened, some of that happened to some of you here, right? You know what that feels like, getting sent to detention. All right, one hour, you lose recess, no recess, right? But then what? It's over, right? Well, what if detention lasted a full day? That'd be pretty bad, right? What if detention lasted a year? What if detention lasted a decade? What if detention lasted forever? You and I, we don't encounter this kind of judgment often enough in our daily life. And so we fail to understand the severity of God's wrath. But those who are lost, hear me now. Those who are lost will be separated from the love of God forever. Forever. Now, how much better are you that you deserve grace than them? Any sinners in church? Raise your hand. Any sinners in church? Yeah, guess what? So are the rest of us. Every one of Every one of the people who have been born into this world suffers in the same way that you and I suffer with sin, undeserving of God's mercy and grace. And yet you've got it. What about your neighbor? They need it. They need it. And I want you to learn to change your lens, change your perspective, because God knew this was a problem. And so what did he do? He sent us his son. He sent his son. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. In, in a minute. All right, let's continue on. I'm going to move a little quickly. Next question is, all right, who and how? All right, well, there's three categories that he lists. And the first is to the Jews. He says, uh, he kind of mentions it twice. Uh, in verse 20, he talks about the Jews. And then again, he says, those under the law, still speaking of the Jews. All right, under the law means they're still following after the foolishness of thinking they can be right before God. Without Jesus. That's insane. 
Good luck. That's all I got to say. Try to obey the law on your own. Good luck to you. Because you know what Paul says? If you fail at one, you're guilty of it all. So you better be pretty polished here in your ability to keep the law. But that was the Jews. Paul says, I'm going to become like them. But not as one under the law. Are you understanding this? This is, this is crucial. You're going to leave church confused if you don't catch this point. All right? G, uh, Paul here is saying that I am becoming like the Jews, but I'm not placing myself in their same category. I am not putting myself under the law. But rather, I'm going to be approachable to them. And I'm going to do so in a way that might be uncomfortable for me. Such that I might, what was the word? What was the word? Win. Remember that? That I might gain some of them. So that's the first category. And that's how. The second category here are the Gentiles. So you've got the two major Gentiles of people. If you're not a Jew, guess what you are? You're a Gentile. All right, so we're covering all the bases here. Um, these, Paul outlines as those without the law. So they don't have the word of God. I want you to pay close attention to here to, to what he says However, in the parentheses of verse 21, uh, he says, uh, starting in 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Now, Paul is thinking the same thing some teenagers are thinking at this point. Does that mean I go partying with my friends? Right? See what Paul did? They don't have a law. They're having a good time. Does that mean I get to go have a good time like them? He's like, hold on. I knew you were thinking that. So look at the parentheses here. He says, uh, though I am not free from God's law. I hope you caught that. It's going to sound a little contradictory because just he, didn't he say just previously? He's not under the law, but now he says he is. Furthermore, you have to look beyond this because he says that he is bound or under Christ's law. Now, again, if we had time, we'd turn to the book of Galatians and we'd read there in uh, the last chapter how he says, that you need to carry one another's burdens. That's the phrase. Carry one another's burdens. And in so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Think with me on that for a minute. To carry one another's burdens. I'm going to give you two words to choose from. Sympathy and empathy. Which of those two sounds like carrying someone's burden? Sympathy or empathy? Say it out loud. Empathy. Hopefully you got the right one there, right? That this means more than just being like, oh, it's too bad for you. Sorry to hear that. Talk to you later. Um, no, it means I am going to place myself in the discomfort you have because I love you. I don't want to lose you. I want to care for you. That's the law of Christ. Paul says that he's becoming like the Gentiles, but he's still under God's law, primarily bound by the law of Christ. Yeah, so this doesn't mean you just to get to do anything. This further means that you, in reaching the Gentiles, don't carry the same perspective as Gentiles. Now, let me, let me update the word a little bit for you. I don't want to lose you here, all right? The world today, do they follow God's law? Yes or no? I'm not sure you've been watching the news lately. The world today, do they follow God's law? No. No. They don't. In fact, they set up their own laws to appease their own desires. We're, we're going to do it this way. We're going to legislate it this way. I, I, don't, I don't want God's law. We're going to make man's law. Paul is saying here, you don't get, as a follower of Christ, you don't get to adopt their law, their own way of doing things. In fact, you are still bound by the law of Christ, which is to love 
and God's law. And that means God's moral law. Hear me now very clearly. There is things that are right and there are things that are wrong. I don't care what the state of California says. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And you and I need to recognize Paul here is thinking ahead of the folks that that want to uh, move beyond this idea to say, hold on, I'm still under God's law. You don't get to just put yourself under man's law. Okay, so if you're tracking with me on that, the last part here, it says, to the weak I became like the weak. Um, That was here in verse 21. Um, He says that I become all things to all men so that by possible I might save some. Uh, Why? Why is Paul doing this? This is the last part. It's because of uh, showing proof of Paul's faith in his participation in the gospel. I actually got to press that one for a minute here as well. You're you're not going to get behind this idea. You're not going to hear this message this morning if you don't hear Paul's motivation. Look with me down at the last verse, verse 23. I do all this. So he's starting off by showing you his motivation. Why, Paul? Why are you doing all this? Why are you becoming like all these people? I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What Paul means by that is that he could do no less. For him to fail to share the gospel would be for him to deny his faith. He's saying, I have a share in this. God has woven me into the ministry of being ambassador for his sake and calling the nations to repentance. I, I know you guys are missing me on This sermon's getting a little long, so you got to really pay attention on this part because this is a tough one. And again, I warned you up front, this is going to be a difficult one to, to hear because it's going to require some change in your life. But what Paul is saying is that if he doesn't do this, he doesn't have a share in the blessings of the gospel. Meaning, this is not optional. Are you guys hearing this? This is not a, hey, if you feel like it, Paul, maybe you could go and preach. Just if you feel like it, if you're not busy. That's not what this is. Paul says, I do this because it shows I have a stake in the gospel. It's, it's mine. I, I would have to do this. In fact, if you go back in 9 a little bit, he gets a little bit more clear on it. Go back in 9 verse 15. Start there with me. He says, but I have not used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am, what's the Bible say? Compelled to preach. I, I have to do it. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward, right? If this was, uh, who wants to sign up for preaching today? Paul's like, oh, I'm in. Let me do it. Like voluntarily. He's saying this is not voluntarily. This isn't me doing this. Look, continue. He says, if, uh, if not voluntarily, then I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Then what is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Paul was convinced that his work as an apostle, as an evangelist, was tied to his salvation. Because I am in Christ, I could do I could do nothing else. I have to do this. I have to share. Are you catching me this morning? Are you seeing this as as a calling upon the life of the believer? 
obligation, but not to the flesh. Obligation, like Paul writes in Romans 8, to follow the Spirit as he leads in and dwells us. All right, so here, here are the conclusions. And I've, I've tried to list this out as like a big, long, run-on sentence. Three parts to it. First is this. Paul gave up his rights and his comforts of freedom. He gave them up. Number two, because he was motivated by his participation in the gospel of saving sinners from the wrath of God, that he might save some by being a willing servant to reach all. It's a nice run-on sentence, right? I'd get marked down in English class for this, but it shows these three major conclusions. Number one, he gave up his rights. Number two, he's motivated by the gospel. And number three, he's a servant to reach all. Did you catch it? I hope you're catching it this morning. Give me an amen if you're catching it. All right. All right. So so what do we do with this? I I just have a few a few points of conclusion. They're in your they're in your notes. And I want to press upon them again very briefly here. But we have to look at them. And to do so, we actually have to turn to another passage of Scripture. You, you can lose your place now in 1 Corinthians, but I want you to go to our New Testament reading for the day. Go back to the book of Philippians. So turn further ahead in your New Testament to the book of Philippians chapter 2. What did Jesus say? As the Father sent me, I am sending you. All right? Don't lose that one. That's kind of our theme verse for this morning. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Paul here says in the letter to the Philippians, he gives us the manner by which God sent Jesus. And so this would be, um, you guys know what footnotes are? Some of you magazine readers need to read some more books, right? But footnotes are those little numbers that reference you somewhere else. This is the footnote to that John passage. All right, so so if, if you have, again, tradition of marking in your Bible, John 20, 21, Write Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Because th- this is the more in-depth of what it means for the way in which God sent Jesus. All right, here it is. Uh, Paul says, each of you should look not only to your own interests. Do you remember what that was? That was Galatians 6, right? That's the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. So he says, don't look to your own, own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. All right, teach us, Paul. Tell me about Jesus' attitude. Here it is. Verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That idea is retained or held on to. Like, no, 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 don't take it away. That's like my, my daughter does when it's time to go to bed. No. That's not what Jesus is doing in heaven, all right? Rather, look what he did. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. What, what was the word that Paul used again? He says, I'm free of all men, and yet I make myself a... That's the same word here. It's, it's doulos in the, in the Greek. Servant, or sometimes translated as slave. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Remember? Who's God trying to reach? The deer and the fish? Uh-uh. Who's God trying to reach? Us. And so Jesus becomes us. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. These are the questions I want to leave you with. See if you can answer them. What was Jesus' motivation to come to earth and die? What was it? Because he, he loves you. That was it, because he loves you. My question for you is this. 
How motivated are you by the gospel to give up your comforts? That's what I said in, in Philippians, right? He didn't consider this equality with God something to be held on to. Don't take it away. But he was willing to lose all the comforts of heaven to come to the misery of earth. How motivated are you to do this? And I, I truly believe it presses upon the question of how real do you think hell is? I wonder what you'd be willing to give up. I'll pick on myself here for a minute, right? Um, I, I got this truck I'm making payments on. I like, my, I like my Tundra. All right, let's just be honest. Confession time in church, folks, all right? Idolatry, I need to be far away from me, right? But I like my pickup. What if God said that if I got rid of that truck, everyone on earth would be saved? Do you think I'd do it? No. For the whole world? Absolutely, yeah. All right, what, what if... Uh, he changed it. He said, if I gave up the truck, all of those in the UP would be saved. Would I do it? Yeah. Uh, what if he said, all right, now just the folks that live in Channing would do it? Think I'd do it? All right. What, what if he said just one person? Just one person. There's a moment in the story of the Gospels where Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to be arrested. He, he's praying in the garden, and he says to his closest friends... Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then he leaves and he comes back and finds them doing what? Sleeping. Yeah. Not, not calling on, on the Lord for strength. Which is, it's just been a long day, Jesus. Just fast asleep. And I believe in that moment, God was showing Jesus, look, are you willing to die for these? This is the best of mankind. They've been with you for three years. They've seen the miracles. And look at them. Look at them snoozing away. That's the best. Of mankind, Are you willing to die for them? So in this question, I, I feel like we've got to put our own uh, agenda online. What would you be willing to, to give up? Which is kind of the second question. Uh, what did Jesus sacrifice so that you might be saved? What was it from Philippians? He humbled himself to the point of what? Death, even not, not, not like a nice peaceful death in a nursing home. Surrounded by your... How, how did Jesus die? Yeah, the worst way possible. That's how he died. Uh, what are you willing to sacrifice that heaven would gain another soul? Our missionaries are giving up the American dream. They're giving up everything. They're giving up everything they have to travel to a country that's not their own. That's awesome. We ought to applaud them for that. Not for their pride or merit, but because of their obedience to the Spirit's leading. Look at I'm not asking you to be missionaries in Africa. That's not what I'm asking. I am asking you to be missionaries in the UP. That's where I'm asking you to be missionaries. And that's going to take a level of change on your part. What are you willing to sacrifice? Number three, how low did Jesus humble himself as a servant? And we kind of already answered that, right? To the point of death, even death on a cross. My question is, what would need to change in your life for you to be someone's servant? Uh, it's a change in our perspective. You have neighbors that God's called you to serve. I don't like my neighbor. <laughs> yeah. God's asking you to change how you view them. God's asking you to change. Why? Because Jesus did it. Jesus is your example. Lastly, uh, where was Jesus sent? And where is God sending you? Because he is sending you. Every one of you. He is sending you somewhere. 
And this is not optional. I, I want to press upon that last verse where Paul says, I do this for my participation in the gospel and its blessings. Right? It's similar to when I uh, tell my son, um, hey, get your shoes on and come outside. Right? I, I'm calling him and sending him somewhere, and he does not get the option to say, in a minute, or if I feel like it, or I don't want to, excuse me, excuse me, I said it, you're going. What about you? Where's God sending you? How, how easy is it for your heart to say, in a minute, God, you know, I just need to, you know, finish paying off our mortgage, and then, uh, and, then uh, and then, you know, we want to get a, you know, that second home, and then we got, you know, we want to buy that pontoon boat, and then, you know, we got to get the RV, and <sighs> look, that's the world way of thinking, right? You will do well to recognize you don't belong in this world. So why are you filling yourself up with this baggage? I'm, look at me serving Jesus, carrying this loaded, this world with you. How, how much are you taking in Africa? Suitcase? You taking a U-Haul? What, what are you taking? You flying a DC-3 over there with your, all your earthly possessions? <laughs> You're bringing suitcases, right, Becca? You're going to have clothes for the girls, right? You're going to have a little bit of what you need to start a new life over there, right? Light, light on their feet, ready to go. God sent Jesus to the earth. Jesus didn't come begrudgingly. He went willingly. My question for you finally is where is God sending you? Thank you for your attention this morning. Let's pray that God helps us in obedience to his word.